I'm Ryan Pitts. I'm Mitchell Prasis. And this is the Hustler Nation. Well, wake, welcome, everyone. Uh, today we have a very special guest. Dave Brock uh, is with us. Dave is the president at Partners in Excellence. Uh, Dave, thanks for joining us on Hustler Nation. Well, thanks so much for in- inviting me, guys. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Absolutely. Uh, David, so well, we always like to kickstart our uh, our conversations with is asking our guests, you know, what in your mind is the is the definition of a hustler, and how how do you meet that definition, or how do you try to meet that definition? Super. Uh, that's a great question because uh, I think you know there's so many negative connotations to. Uh, the term hustler, particularly in sales, I means you know we, we, you know, a lot of customers talk about these hustlers, and they think of being hustled or being manipulated or deceived and all that. And and mm-hmm. so there's a lot of real negative um, reflection on the concept of hustlers or, or hustle. But I, I think hustling is critical, and being a hustler is critical not just for sales, but for you know anything you want to accomplish in life. Um, I think a lot of people confuse meaningless, aimless activity, but a lot of it with hustling. And, and to me, hustling is kind of what I'll call an obsessive and relentless focus on execution and goal attainment. You know, so when you see really good hustlers is – is they may not be running around, may not be very active. They may even be sitting, thinking, and, and figuring things out. But they are just, um, I use the term kind of obsessive in learning about something and then relentless in executing. And, and when you look at any kind of top performer, we work with a lot of uh, CEOs of, of software uh, SaaS-type companies and, and, and startup companies who work with CEOs of Fortune 100 companies. And a characteristic that you see in, in you know, top performers, whether they're in business or sales or, or whatever, is this kind of obsessiveness and relentlessness, and it's this loop that keeps going and going. They keep setting goals. They keep figuring out how to achieve those goals. They set another goal and keep going and and going and and accomplish huge amounts of things uh, with the least effort, least activity possible. So, Dave, I have a question related to that. Um, And based on your experience in working with these organizations over the years, um, and for a lot of the episodes we've done, we've we've oftentimes talked about individuals and performance. I'm curious, based on your experience, can you develop or can you speak to this concept of maybe developing a hustler culture inside of an organization? So meaning, or is it possible, first of all, and the second part of the question would be, how how could a company develop this with a a team or a department, um, or can the the organization as a whole essentially be a hustler? Can there be such thing as a hustler company? I I, I think I think 
absolutely there are. I, mean, I think you design organizations to do this. I think it starts with a culture and a mentality and an orientation. So it starts from the top. And, and so, you know, if leaders aren't walking the talk themselves in terms of hustling and driving this kind of thing, it, it, hustling is really more of a mindset than anything else. You know, so if they aren't setting this culture and setting the personal example themselves, um, it's impossible to, to think that the rest of the organization will do this. You know, so then you start looking at saying who fits in this organization. So you have to re recruit people with the right kind of, of mentality, the right kind of mindset, people who are obsessed with with goal attainment, obsessed with accomplishing something. And again, I think you have to be, be very cautious that it's it's focused – uh, it's it's not an activity measure necessarily, but it's an outcome measure in, in what we're trying to achieve. So, you know, you see lots of young startups. You see some some larger organizations that have this as well. But but you know, they become an an army that kind of steamrolls and starts accomplishing amazing things because you know everybody in the organization has the right mindset and mentality everybody is goal focused everybody is collaborative and realizes the way we're going to do this is by by getting the team to achieve this together and and, and through the team achieving this we can do this more than um any any individual can uh so so it's it's tough to maintain hustle. It's tough to maintain that culture. So you have to be attentive to it. You see a lot of organizations that get it for a while and they lose the magic. Um, you know, and there 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 are examples of this all around us. Whether it's sports teams, whether it's org companies, mm -hmm. you, you know, you see great startup organizations where everybody is unified around a mission and what they want to achieve, and everybody kind of pulls together in making that happen. Uh, and then all of a sudden, they lose the magic. They lose. They, you know, it's they start getting complacent. Um, they start losing that hustle, uh, you know, and as we start looking at, at, you know, particularly young organizations, that's the point where they start uh, dooming themselves to failure. But you also see examples of this, fewer examples, but you see examples of this in very, very large organizations, you know, super high-performing organizations, and trying to do this kind of culturally with thousands or tens of thousands of employees is a real challenge. So one question I have about that is, because I'm sure some of our, our listeners, um, you know, they, they totally understand if the environment's there and, you know, the, the managers have to kind of set the pace and the tone for that. What are your recommendations or, or what, um, you know, let's say you're, you're kind of a one-man army in this, you know, pursuit to be obsessive and relentless in execution and goal attainment, um, and the environment's just not there. If the environment's not there and it's systemically not there, go someplace else. Um, you're you're <laughs> going to beat your head against a wall. Uh-huh. And uh it's it's particularly if you're if if you're not the leader of the organization if if there is culturally 
um, a non-hustle kind of environment, what you'll do is you can hustle. You can hustle and succeed for a while, but but the issue is you can't do this alone in any organization. So if you're alone and trying to hustle in an organization that is not hustling, that is complacent, or maybe anti-hustle, um, is the the culture will kind of absorb you, or you'll continue yeah. to rebel and you'll create such discord in the organization that you'll start not succeeding. So, you know, if it's systemic in the organization and can't be changed, go someplace else. Why waste your time and waste your life? So that's wow. an interesting yeah. point, David. So let's take Mitchell's point and expand on that and say, all right, what what are some indicators if there are people who are listening to this and they say, what are indicators that they should look for in an organization, meaning I'm looking from the outside in and saying, wow, this is a place that I want to, this is what I'm aspiring toward, this is what I want to do, this looks cool. What are some indicators that, that you've seen over over the years? I think what you do is, is uh, there's some false indicators. You know, a lot of hype, a lot of activity, a lot of constant busyness, um, a lot of kind of self-promotion or even rah-rah cheerleading and all that kind of stuff could be false indicators. Um, um, I think what you do is you see a, a, a a quiet sense of purposefulness. You see people that know what they're about, what they're trying to achieve. You see everybody aligned around it. Um, you know, so so it's it's things like you know you start going and you're talking to people or looking at them from the outside and see one that there is a strong culture that they respect that culture and that it's important to them, that there's a value system embedded within that culture, that they have a clear idea of who they are and who they aren't. You know, so this thing of, of you know, for instance, from a sales point of view, we go after everybody. Well, that's that's unreasonable, and you get a lot of acti activity with that, but you don't get a lot of success. So you see clear right. focus on here's who we are as an organization, here's what we stand for, here's what we want to stand for for our customers. And so those are people that are very, very purposeful. You see a clear plan of how to execute that. You see clear accountability and responsibility. So you, 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 you for instance, don't see excuses. You see people that say, you know, we screwed up on this. We made an error. We did something wrong. Our strategy was off. What do we do? What have we learned from this experience? And what do we do to fix it? You know, so you see an organization that's invigorated by learning, you know, by trying to figure things out to try and constantly improve that, you know, isn't necessarily, you know, if I look at, at top performers, Top performers don't care about quota because quota is something that they pass on the way to achieving their own objectives. So, so again, it's this, this sense of purposefulness, having a clear idea of what you're trying to do, why you're trying to do it, and what it means, and, and 
and, and, and learn, knowing that you'll fail, but learning how to overcome that and keep persevering on that. So you see that, and it's pretty easy to see in an organization. You see that in the way they present themselves to the customer over a period of time you can, uh, or, or to the public. Over a period of time, you can kind of uh, filter through, you know, who are the guys that are BSing it, and, you know, it's just, you know, for show, and who are the, the people that are really doing this sort of stuff. And that's, you know, that cuts kind of the, the frauds from the real hustlers out. You know, and, and frankly, there are more frauds in hustling than there are real hustlers. Right. Um, I, I, a thought on that. I mean, I think I definitely understand about the the frauds versus the the real hustlers. I mean, it, it seems like such a, a classic phrase. Oh well, we go after everyone. That that's something that you said that really stuck out to me. Um, you know, I think something that, you know, we, we've developed, you know, just kind of at this point in time, you know, as as culturally or, you know, societally is, um, you know, just kind of shooting in the dark, not thinking too much about it, just kind of putting it in the dark, see where it lands, um, and, you know, moving from there. So kind of, you know, favoring action over inaction. Um do you do you think there is a place for that in a in a business lifespan or or am I misunderstanding kind of you know going after everyone um, type mentality? Just want some clarification. It's um, well, there. I mean, we can't, regardless of how big we are, mm-hmm. we can't solve everybody's problems. You know, so by definition, we can't go after everybody. You know, what, what, you know, we need to be, you know, when, and I talk about this purposefulness versus meaningless activity is, is, you know, it's answering the question and answering it honestly is, you know, what problems are we the best in the world at solving? And who has those problems? And let me focus on those. It's not saying, you know, let me go out and and just, you know, drive a huge amount of activity. I can easily send, you know, 10,000 emails today. I can make hundreds of, of dials. I can have perhaps dozens of conversations in a day. But if they're with the, all the wrong people, if they aren't moving us forward in what we're trying to achieve, then that's all wasted meaningless activity. You know, if you spend a few minutes just kind of thinking and refining about who really cares about this, how do I go after them and how do I achieve something with them, and and how do I create value that makes them want to continue the conversation with me? That's really hustle. It's hard work. It's easier to be, you know, have this aura of activity and busyness than it is to achieve something and accomplish something. And I think too much of what we we confuse hustle with is busyness. I once was consulting with a Fortune 50 organization who was in deep turnaround, in deep, deep trouble, and I'd been brought in by the board to help turn around the organization. And they had this this culture of, of kind of busyness. You weren't a real 
man, so to speak, you know, or a real, you know, tough person, unless your your calendar was constantly filled and you were busy. So people would be running meeting to meeting, and then the CEO had a terrible habit. He'd schedule three meetings at one time. And he'd jump from meeting room to meeting room to meeting room. So what you saw is this huge frenzy of activity. Everybody was busy, but they were failing. Their sales and their results were plummeting every single year. Their their revenue were, was plummeting. Their earnings were plummeting because they had mistaken being busy and having activity with, you know, being very clear about what is it they were trying to achieve, what were the necessary steps to achieve those things, and how did they did that do that together as a team? Does that make sense? That yeah, absolutely. It does sense. for me. That's yeah. Dave, that's, Dave, let me ask you this, or let me maybe just add some commentary on this, um, based on some of the things I've experienced over the years and seeing a lot of different salespeople and sales organizations. I, I would wholeheartedly agree, and we are, we're almost to the point now where we are as a in business and really as a culture is being frazzled is almost a badge of honor to some degree, which is really very strange, interestingly enough, but meaning this concept of being busy for the sake of of being busy and almost like, oh, I'm just so busy, I'm so frazzled. I think the difference and the distinction, and I think, Mitchell, this is probably what you're alluding to, mm-hmm. is Dave's talking about focus and saying, where should I put my focus and being diligent and being clear in my direction versus the idea of saying, and this is where the there are pitfalls, is getting ready to get ready. So meaning I'm I'm always preparing to prepare. I'm not all I'm I'm just not ready yet to do this because if I, you know, if if I if I make a mistake, then meaning fear fear of failure. And so those are two different things. So the idea of saying, "Hey, we are going to be very focused in our approach and who we're targeting and where the direction that we're going." Um, I think is is of critical importance. And I think to your point, Mitchell, what I think you're alluding to is the idea of, in some cases, action is better than no action, meaning you've got to, you've got mm-hmm. to make the move um, and you're much better off being more aggressive in that regard. But to your point, Dave, I think that if you're doing it for the sake of being busy for the sake of being busy to show and to demonstrate, particularly in an organization, let's take it out of the context of a, of, of a solopreneur or a small startup business, uh, although those things could still exist, I can see how a culture can develop that way. Uh, and we've seen this in other industries. Um, I've actually noticed this, you know, in, in, um, we, did, we did a lot of work in multi, multifamily housing, um, where there's like this frazzled type of, of mentality, and it's almost become part of the culture. Uh, so anyway, that's those yeah, are. I, I think I think on. what we do is is we we start getting in this kind of ready fire aim kind of mentality, and so we start doing activity for activity's sake. So you know, I'd much prefer somebody taking a few minutes to sit down and think, what's the right next thing to do. 
But mm-hmm. you very seldom find people do this. You know, so what happens is you get into this act, react, act, react kind of thing where you're you start spinning and becoming busy and frazzled. You know, so for instance, one of the things that we see with salespeople. You know, I don't know any salesperson around that has a good pipeline right now. Is is everything I go is is people need more in their pipeline. You know, and managers are saying, Well, gee, you only have two times coverage in your pipeline, you need three times coverage in pipeline, go get more more deals. So what does a salesperson do? Is one is they relax the quality of their qualification standards, so they start letting crap in their pipeline. Two is they start casting a wider net. You know, so rather than focusing more intently on their sweet spot, they go out to those marginal customers or those sub-marginal customers or those those people that are way out in left field who have no business and no need to buy your product, but because they have to get the right coverage in their pipeline, they go get those people. They, with wishful thinking, they put them into the pipeline and, and they go back to the manager and say, we now have the right coverage. But now the problem is, is they filled their pipeline with crap. Their win rates plummet. The amount they're spending time on things that are a pure waste of their time. And so, you know, we see a lot of these behaviors and we see these kind of loops that managers get into with salespeople, you know, particularly around pipeline conversations, particularly around deal reviews and things like that, that are driving exactly the opposite kind of behaviors that you want. So what you want people to do and you want managers to sit down with with the people to do is to say, how do we fix this pipeline problem? Uh, While it's counterintuitive, one of the ways you fix pipeline problems is you do a much better job of disqualification, and you actually let less stuff into your pipeline. But if you let less stuff into your pipeline, but you're letting the right stuff into your pipeline, guess what? Your win rates go up. So you have to have fewer things in your pipeline. So we, we start doing these things without sitting down to think a little bit. So what I respect more is the person that says, you know, these are the activities I've chosen to do because this is this is why they're the right activities and this is what it'll help me achieve. And that's what you see in this in top performers. You see this really tight loop of kind of this obsessiveness around learning and figuring things out and this relentlessness around execution. They they learn, figure something out, then they go do it and then they you know, their teeth may get kicked in, but they learn from that so they keep looping and they keep improving. They keep learning, executing, learning, executing, learning, executing on a very, very fast cycle. And it's all purposeful. I mean, some of the stuff, you know, they make mistakes, so they learn from it. Some of the stuff, they're very successful. They learn and they apply that more and try and tweak it and improve it. Um, You know, so that's what you see in really top performers, whatever it is, whether it's a top entrepreneur, whether it's a top salesperson, whether it's a top sales team, you see that that focus where sometimes the best thing to do is sit for half an hour and figure things out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, this... Uh, Mitch, do you have anything have else more. you want to add? Or? Yeah, I have one more question. What You've worked with a, with a lot of clients, a lot of different people. What are some of the things that you find salespeople, sales managers, 
busying their day up with that is completely meaningless but feeds into that, oh, I'm busy, I'm frazzled type mentality. I see too much time spent on internal meetings. So, I mean, we, I mean, there's actually, I'm on CEB's advisory board and there's some research they're about to publish in Harvard Business Review that shows um, things like the amount of time, uh, amount of, of non-selling time we spend. I, uh, a few years ago, I was working with uh, one of the largest telecommunications companies in the country and the world. And with their global accounts and, and corporate accounts and kind of larger accounts, we looked at time available for selling. Um, the time available for for those people to sell, and, and by that it was uh, you know, preparing for a meeting with a customer, executing that meeting, whether it was a phone call or a face-to-face meeting, and following up on the stuff and doing the things to move deals forward. We found the time they had available for selling was less than 20%. And so you start looking at what are they doing on the other 80%. Well, there's some reasonable stuff that they need to be doing, but they were involved in huge numbers of internal meetings. Uh, and you start saying, well, why are they involved in those huge numbers of internal meetings? Well, there are, you know, a whole bunch of kind of both, you know, some very functional behaviors because there are people in, for instance, marketing and product management that say, we want to learn what's happening with the customer. So for us to do our job, we have to take time away from you doing your job. And it was people with very, very good intentions that the system was kind of creating this end effect on the salespeople where they were spending, you know, less than 20% of their time in actually doing the key part of their job. So so you see a lot in internal meetings with, uh, with managers. We see a lot of that with spending more time with internal meetings than spending time with their people, coaching them on deals and out helping them with deals. You see people hiding behind their desks. You know, you, uh, uh, I think, Mitchell, you mentioned it, is is that they spend a lot of time thinking and planning um, and trying to figure out before actually acting. Um, you know, and I think a lot of the, the sales enablement tools and sales analytics tools that we have create an excuse to say, well, let me do all this stuff so I can avoid actually doing the real work. So you start seeing this kind of culture of stuff where meetings, using the tools, it's interesting, the, the part of the research um, um, CEB will, will be talking about will be this cognitive overload that we as individuals face is that, you know, we know how the brain works and we know that the brain can only focus on two, possibly three things at one time. Uh, but now we start looking at, you know, I got a bunch of tools. And one of the worst things I can ever hear about these days is the sales stack. You know, so we start with all these applications that are supposed to help the salespeople be more effective. And you start reading data of, of, you know, people have on average, and I'm pulling these numbers out of the air, 9.5 applications that they use in their sales stack, or you start seeing them in the double digits, you know, people having, you know, 14, 15, you know, even higher numbers of applications that they use to help them sell more effectively. But that cognitive overload, that, that overload of things actually measurably reduces their productivity, 
measurably reduces that we found win rates are down just by kind of the sales stack and this cognitive overload, we found win rates are down by 22%. So the complexity of what we well, deal with, you know, kind of well-intentioned managers are providing salespeople tools and things to help them do their job. But the cognitive overload of dealing with all those tools actually makes them less productive and less effective. You know, I kind of joke with people, um, I'm, you know, there are apps now that help me better connect with left-handed, silver-haired um, sales consultants. And they're right. They're, they're <laughs> apps for blonde-haired, blue-eyed, right-handed sales consultants. I mean, it's getting that specific, and and so you you see this kind of insanity all in the spirit of helping a salesperson that's actually decreasing their productivity and decreasing their effectiveness because the human mind can't cope with that level of complexity. So I think that's a wow. real serious issue both at an individual level level and at the organizational level and you're now just starting to see the research come out that says what does this do to our quality of life? But, you know, even if you're more crass, you say, what's this do to business results? And it actually isn't producing better business results. It's producing worse. So so then you go back to say, all this is done in the spirit of hustle, but, but it's not creating the, the intended effect. So now we start saying... How do we become more focused? How do we become more purposeful? How do we look at radical simplification so that we give people the chance to figure out what the right thing to do is and hold them accountable for executing it? And then keep... Dave, this is this is all... You've given us so much good stuff on, on this session. Uh, I hope that folks will go back and listen to this several times. There's There's been a lot of really good stuff. Uh, Dave Brock, thanks for joining us uh, from Partners in Excellence. Thanks so much for inviting me. I appreciate it.